Hello and welcome to Mimi UU. I'm Mimi Nicklin, the host of the show. This podcast is anonymous and it's audio only without names to protect from unconscious bias or judgment and to allow true empathy to grow. The goal of the show is to share diverse stories from around the world by giving people a platform to share openly so that other people like you can understand diverse realities from around the globe. We exist to create empathy and not just talk about it. Welcome to Me, Me, You, You. Hello and welcome back everyone to Me, Me, You, You. Today's show is going to take you on an empathy journey in a slightly different direction. Of course, we talk a lot on the show about relationships with each other, understanding each other, understanding people from different parts of the world and reality. Today, we're going to delve into the animal world and a little bit more about the relationship between us and our animals and how those relationships can significantly change people's outlook or lives, indeed their mental health, their well-being, and the paths they take going forward. Before we kick off, as ever, I just want to remind my guests that this is an anonymous show and to make sure that you're happy to go ahead and happy to talk to me today. Wonderful. Well, welcome. Thank you very much for joining Mimi Yu to talk about your journey. I want to start by asking you why you accepted the invitation. Why did you want to join the show today? Thank you, Mimi. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk today was my, obviously, my own personal journey and the way that that might um, spark some thoughts amongst the audience. Um, I've seen the impact of dogs specifically because they're the animals that I work with and the impact on people's lives and the way they view themselves from sort of self-esteem issues, confidence, it's using dogs as sort of a non-judgmental being that still needs that human interaction. And looking at dogs themselves and the way they interact with each other. And, you know, I work for a dog charity, rehoming unwanted and and stray animals, the stray dogs. And I've seen how that impacts people's lives to a significant degree, including my own. So that's why I wanted to share my story with people today. Wonderful. And as a dog lover myself, I can't wait to hear more about that and understand a little bit more about that impact. Let's start at the beginning of your story. Am I to assume correctly you have your own dog? Yes, uh, you're absolutely correct. She, in fact, is a very unusual dog in that she adopted me from the project two and a half years ago when I was in a position of not actually becoming a dog dad. I've had dogs all my life. I'm British, as you can probably tell by the accent, and used to breed dogs, in fact, before coming to South Africa. I was not in a position 
to have a dog either in the block that I was living in because it was not pet friendly. I was also still working in the bush. It's also part of my story. So everything I thought was conspired against my dog adopting me. However, things change and some people may remember the big fire that happened by the monument and destroyed part of UCT some years ago. And I got a call from the Oscars Arc, which is the organization that I work for, to see if I could emergency foster any dogs to get them out of the center because it was filling up with smoke. Naturally, by that time, my dog had decided that I was her, so it was logical that I had special permission from the body corporate, as it was then, to do an emergency foster to get her out of the center. And that's where the story really began with my dog when she actually physically came to live with me, albeit initially for a short period of time. Well, whether through love or fire, she found you. But before we unpack what happens next when she arrives with you that evening, let's rewind a little. You mentioned the bush, which is, of course, you know, the the big wide world and, and the big five for many people that are outside of South Africa and the African region. Tell us how you ended up living in the bush. You mentioned you're British. So how did you end up as a British person living kind of in the outback of Africa? Tell us the story and how that also intertwined with the wildlife you found there. Thank you, Mimi. It's not your usual story. I will do a very thumbnail sketch of those. I'll take the whole day just to talk about me because it's all about me. I was in corporate for 27 years in very academically driven, highly scientific world of clinical research. Prior to that, my mother unfortunately died at the age of 50, having had quite a hard life. And when I approached the same age as my mother, I was thinking along the lines of, well, she died at 50, I'm not ready to die. How many things are there that I haven't fulfilled for myself or at least tried? So having lived a corporate life and enjoyed it with the trappings that it brings in terms of a good salary, international travel, academically stimulating, I took a risk of taking a year's sabbatical to try a different life with the reassurance that I would be going back to corporate and and had a very senior global role at that stage. So I decided to train as a field guide in Kruger and Botswana. And after 12 months, the intention was to come back to the UK. However, I absolutely loved that time training. It took me back. I think I was older than all the instructors. And I had arranged to do some work placements. First of all, working on a lion reintroduction program in Zambia for a few months, which was very inspirational. And then latterly, actually uh, going to a lodge I used to visit as a guest, but I ended up running it as the general manager. And during that time, I got to know a totally different culture in terms of the staff that was working there and developing a huge respect for the wild animals that actually came through the camp. I took that opportunity 
to do some self-reflection. I took the isolation as a huge opportunity for me to look at my life, look at the priorities and think of where my future lay. And ironically, my decision was almost made up for me by the owner of that lodge asking me one day, so are you really going back to the UK? And I said, I don't feel that I'm ready to go back because Africa and the people in it have taught me an awful lot about priorities. That, he just turned around and said, there is a job here if you want it. And for, with that, I then resigned from corporate and I started the process of getting proper permits in place and became general manager of a lodge in Timbavati, which is on the northwest side, Kruger. And I ended up running a few lodges within Kruger and its surrounds for the next nine years. Wow. So that's that, that's a thumbnail sketch of what happened to me as a, a Brit in the bush, so to speak, which is the title of my book, which I haven't actually written yet, apart from the title. Um, so with that, of course, as we all know, we were hit by COVID. And COVID meant that I had to um, get the staff and the existing guests out of the lodge pretty quickly. And again, entered a period of self-reflection, isolation, and really connecting with animals that were coming through the lodge. I had the best lockdown ever because I was outside managing a 22-room lodge with animals drifting in and out. And again, it was a re-evaluation of my life. And by that time, I decided I wanted to stay in South Africa. So I'd started the process of permanent residency, which is not an easy um, journey. Eventually, the restrictions were lifted and I made my way down to Cape Town where I had bought a small apartment off the internet just to exist until I thought I was going to be going back to the bush. However, two things happened. Um, one afternoon on a weekend, I was walking on Seapoint Promenade and I came across a big yellow container that was run by the Wolf Project. And there's lots of dogs that wanted to go out for walks. And I thought, well, I've got nothing else to do. Let me take a few dogs out. And I got to learn about the project. So that was one thing. And I began to look forward to taking time with these dogs uh, without really understanding the concept of the Wolf Project and Oscar's Art. And eventually, in March 2021, I was lucky enough to get permanent residency. However, it was based on retirement, which pre prevents me from uh, doing a job here in South Africa. So all planned. Um, I I'd done some mathematics and I had a small property abroad, so I felt I could reasonably comfortably live here without having an extravagant lifestyle. But then the question is, how do I occupy my time? By that time, I was then looking forward to seeing these dogs every Saturday and Sunday where they had what they call a pop-up. Learned a lot about the model of uh, Oscar's Ark, which is basically, these are all rescue dogs, but Oscar's 
uplift them from about 30 shelters across the Western Cape. So at any one time, we have between 50 and 60 dogs and puppies. And the aim is to focus on adoption. So our job is to match people and dogs. And then a proportion of the adoption fee that we collect goes back to the original shelter. So we support the shelters by uh, creating space so they can do more rescuing and also financially once they've been adopted. As you can imagine, as already been hinted at, during that process, there was one particular dog and she became obsessed with me. And I have had many dogs in my life. I've never had a dog. And similarly, they have never seen a dog react the way Rita does. And so ultimately, as I've hinted before, we do end up together. I have become a trustee of the block. It's now a pet-friendly block. So we are legitimately living together. We've been together for two and a half years. And she continues to amaze me. So here am I, a Brit who's had a lot of um, experience with people in the past and different sort of lifestyles and continues to learn every day about what an animal, specifically a dog and that relationship can bring you. Um, one of the benefits of my involvement with the project is that it's not just about dogs, it's about people and it's about the relationship. And they often say, you get the dog you need, not the dog you want. I felt that I have the dog I needed, which I didn't realize at the time, but I've seen it time and time again. People come to the project to look at dogs and they, oh, they like the big husky light dog or they like the little fluffy dogs or they like the puppies. And I've often seen, especially with some of the dogs that don't automatically throw themselves at you and say, take me, take me, um, there are, there's an interaction with an individual and you can see immediately that there is a bond, there is a connection similar to the one that I had. So I'm not saying that people can't just take any dog, but what I'm saying, I'm talking about special relationships. And invariably, dogs have this understanding, they have this sixth sense, they have a, 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 an, a vision of what, they, what their life is going to be like with that individual. Um, and it, they're, they're never wrong. I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? I, I love that sentence. You say they have a vision of, of what their life could be like with that individual. That's, that, I mean, that's a big statement really to tell us a little bit why why do you think that just because you've you've seen this you've seen these dogs recognize the human that they sort of should be going home with yes so so i've got a few theories and i'm an ecologist by training i've done a lot, lot of um work looking at animal behaviors remember that the dogs are pack animals they are essentially predators they look for nuances in body language, nuances in expression that we might not be aware of. Maybe we've lost it with, you know, the way we live our lives. But dogs still retain that ability to see things that we may not be aware of. And I think that that is one element that we can take from that. If we could capture that and teach ourselves to look at an individual the way a dog does, 
you will see things in a person that may not be aware of. Um, just as an, another aside, um, back in the UK when I was in corporate, I did have a, a very holistic view of life. So amongst other things, I'm a um, holistic massage therapist. I'm a fitness trainer with the British Weightlifting Association. This isn't a promotion for me, by the way. Um, but um, but it, uh, what it does do is you, you can actually see if, if I massage somebody, I had a practice in the UK, uh, it's like opening a book and somebody can say my back's hurting or my neck's hurting or this and that and the other. The moment as a, a therapist, you lay your hands on somebody, you know if that person is telling you the truth. Now, I'm not saying they're deliberately lying. It may be something that they can't confront with themselves or can't come to terms with themselves, but it's like opening a, bu a book. And the reason I'm saying this is I think dogs have that same ability that you can pretend you're something, but you're really not, and the dogs see it. So I think the dogs have a natural empathy with perhaps the person they need. So I'm saying you get the dog that you need, not the dog you want. Perhaps the dogs get the person they need, not necessarily the, dog, the person they want. Mm -hmm. So it's a complicated uh, equation, but it works beautifully. And I, I work, I'm very lucky to, to be able to work with these dogs. So I do on average on a weekend between 55 and 62 kilometers walking and evaluating lots of different dogs. And these dogs come from lots of different backgrounds. Some of them have been loved by previous owners, surrendered for various reasons. We've got one at the moment who has been surrendered because sadly his owner passed away through cancer. Some of them are strays, so they're like open books. You don't know what their history is like, what goes through their minds. Some of them are neurotic, some of them are bold, some of them are aggressive. So with dogs, they almost like live for the moment. The danger is that you feel too sympathetic for a rescue dog. You should be empathetic with a rescue dog. Um, and the reason I say that is that dogs need leadership. That's what gives them confidence. And to some extent, I think people are the same because if you give too much sympathy to somebody who's also got self-esteem issues, um, maybe not got that confidence in themselves, the danger is that person, it just goes deeper and deeper. Um, whereas you need somebody to say, yes, this is not great. And I'm, I'm thinking about my own personal experiences. I, I've lost a partner. Um, and I've lost my, all my family, actually. And my sister-in-law, you know, she was 34 when she died. So I've lost a lot of people, but I'm, I'm, I don't bog myself down with that. I look at the lessons to be learned. And uh, while I'm sympathetic with people who, who lose close, close ones, loved ones, um, look at the lessons that he learned. You know, my sister-in-law, she lived for 35, 36 years. Um, which, you know, some people don't live that long. Um, so it could have been a lot worse. Look at my mother. I, I nursed her for three months and then she died, but she lived for 50 years. So the same thing applies with the way we view life and the same applies to the way dogs view life, in, in my opinion. I absolutely Does that make sense. 
it it well it does and I mean for for me as the host of the show I think that's taken you know such an interesting journey in the last uh, 20 minutes to make that connection you know that connection I think two things that that were very profound to me first is the role of, of empathy and sympathy and I I get asked this question on stages probably weekly you know the difference between and I, I want to take a moment for the audience and just clarify that because there is a lot of questions around that so sympathy is an emotion sympathy can be you know reframed as as pity feeling for someone so you feel sorry for them you know often when something bad happens to someone and, and you feel sympathetic perhaps you send flowers but you don't necessarily get any closer to them it's a feeling for them whereas empathy is a skill set that helps you understand them so it brings you closer because in understanding people's realities you can actually close the gap versus widen it it's not a matter of sending flowers and stepping away but stepping into that reality and understanding it with them not for them so i love that connection to you know what we can learn from animals and that story you've told us about how dogs choose their owners and Indeed, I've heard those stories before when people end up taking home the dog from the rescue center that they least expected. Talk about what that meant for you. So the night of the fire, you mentioned a fire was nearby and Rita, your dog, she yes. turns up home. By this point, had she already chosen you? You you knew each other? So, 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 so what happened just pre preamble before the fire um was that um the situation with rita had become so intense that we have at any one time about 30 to 35 dogs and puppies at the container and i walk these dogs a lot of them and naturally they they look forward to these walks i i give them some leadership a bit of training depending on the dog the first time I took her out, I remember it very well. She walked her heel. She was happy. She was easy, easy, easy. And I thought, well, this is the easiest dog in the world. And she's an Afrikaner's type, average looking dog. To me, she's the most beautiful dog in the world, of course. Um, and so I would take her back. I would uh, attach her to the container and then I'd take another dog. And that's how I, I operate on a Saturday and Sunday. What she began to do and it became more and more intense, is she'd start to look for me returning with another dog. And she would literally scream. She would bark. She would scream. She would... So the moment she saw me coming back, she would create hell, which would set all the other dogs off. The only way she would calm down if I took her, put her on a lead, and just even just stood with her. And, as, and she's not going crazy over me. She's not jumping up at me, wagging her tail, going nuts. That's not her. She just wanted that connection. And it became so bad that when I had those lunch breaks on a Saturday and Sunday, I used to take her to have lunch with me because we. she was settled. I've got photographs of her just falling asleep in a restaurant. And at that stage, I hadn't adopted her or she hadn't. Well, she thought she was adopting me, but I didn't think that was going to happen. So, so she just instantly bonded. And of course, I've also mentioned that at that stage, my life was not going to allow me to have a dog. So I was going to go back to the bush where I couldn't take her and also living in a non-pet friendly place. 
After the three days of the fire, I took her back to the centre. But the three days that she was with me, she was absolutely no trouble. She didn't bark. She didn't do anything. We did walks. It was like nothing. We, we were just together. And I missed her. I mean, it's not the most convenient thing to happen, but, of course, the agreement with Body Corporate was that I would be giving her back. So that what happened is, first of all, going back to the dog project, knowing that I couldn't take her and to try and keep peace and calm amongst all the other dogs, the owner of the project and I discussed it and basically said we're going to have to send her to foster to break the bond and Rita will never be able to see you again because that's going to go back to, you know, square one. So upsetting as it was for me, I realized that was in the best interest of, of Rita. And she went away to a family with a big garden and another dog and um, to all intents and purposes, that was that. And the following weekend, all I found myself was looking for Rita, knowing that she wasn't there. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, this is really tough, but it's the best thing for her. So during that time, I was asked to become a trustee of the block. And so that was one thing that happened. And then, of course, my permanent residency came through and I realized I could not go back to the bush. So you can see where this is leading. So it was all conspiring to the fact that I wasn't going to be allowed to leave Rita. And one fateful Sunday afternoon, I was talking to the owner while I was walking dogs and she came to see me. And I said, how's Rita getting on? And she said, absolutely fine. She's totally settled. We just have to make sure that she doesn't see you again. And all I said was, she was such an amazing dog. If it hadn't worked out with the foster, I would have just had to have made a plan. And she said to me, there is no need to think along those lines because she's happy. We'll get her home. Don't worry. That was on the Sunday. Monday morning, bearing in mind she'd been in foster for two weeks. Monday morning, I had a voice note and I was on the way to a meeting. And it was from the manager at Oscar's Ark said, You've got to come and get your dog. And that's all the message was. No explanation. So How did I rang you feel when that message came through? Horrified because I was thinking, oh my goodness, this means I do officially have responsibilities as a dog dad. How is it going to work? How is it going to impact my life? So my initial reaction was panic because I hadn't been a dog owner for 10 years. I knew the commitment. Am I ready for this commitment? You know, so there were all these things going through my mind. But also going through my mind was the conversation the previous 24 hours. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm sort of forcing this issue. I've got to go and do it. So I had the meeting, dashed to a pet shop, got a collar and lead, went and picked up Rita, who took one look at me, wagged the tail for about two two milliseconds, and that was it. And that's typical Rita. And home we came. And I was out for dinner that evening, and I said to my friends, I said, oh, I said, by the way, I'm bringing a, a dog 
took Rita along to a restaurant, which just happened to be pet friendly, and she just did the normal Rita thing. She just laid down there, and I'd, I've, I've got some rules when I take dogs out. I always want them to be tired, have something to chew on, and take a, a blanket for them to lie on, and then they're happy. And Rita has just slotted into my life. The difficulty with her was that she wasn't used to being on her own. So when it came to leaving her in the flat just to do things like shopping, she started to yip and and howl a bit. And I couldn't have that because at this stage, it was still not a pet-friendly blog. So then began a process of training her in terms of separation anxiety, which is a very common issue. I was lucky that I could dedicate the time to do it. It is trainable, but takes time and patience. And it took me six months to sort that out with Rita. So now I can leave her. She's not happy, but she doesn't make any sounds. I make sure she's tired and et cetera, et cetera. She knows the routine. And we, we've we been together ever since. We've been on day trips. We've been away. We've done lots of stuff together. I cannot imagine my life without this dog she continues to amaze me not because she is overly effusive when i i come in she doesn't even like a tell she just stands and looks at me because i put in so much training being deadpan about the separation anxiety says oh dad's come back and and that's how it should be but if we're out running and i've got my my dog friends now called the dog squad so it's a group of us there's four of us with our five dogs between us and the dogs are tight as a pack and they know that rita goes racing around if i hide if she can't see me she will go into total panic mode so she's more she's happy just to go and do her own thing the moment i'm not there then she's running looking where i am so we're just together it's a really unusual relationship what did happen in the 24 hours between the Sunday and the Monday, what led Rita back to? So typical Rita, they'd got cats and for two weeks, everything was all harmonious and happy and she was happy playing with the dog. I got got some footage of her on the lawn with the the other dogs. She's very social. Suddenly a, a light bulb moment and she constantly harassed and chased the cats and for some reason rita cannot stand cats and she goes into total attack mode and so the foster said we we can't have this dog anymore it's you know these cats mean a lot to us she's she's got to come back so then having brought her back into the center it would have meant that she could never go to the pop-ups and, you know, our fosters, yeah, yeah, a lot of them do have cats. That's how we evaluate if a dog is good with cats or not. So it was just going to be awkward. But bearing in mind, I'd had that conversation with the owner saying, I would have just had to make a plan. The owner took that literally. Um, and, and there's one more element to this. Um, right at the beginning, I was talking about the way the project works. The longer a dog stays with us, the less opportunities we have to hone other dogs. In other words, we don't have the space to uplift more dogs from the center. So our job is to match the right dog with the right home, not any dog with any home. 
But if we don't get applications over six to eight months, what we sometimes do, it rarely happens because normally we do get them home, we will return that dog to the original shelter, but we will continue to advertise it. And we will uplift two more in its place. In other words, we've got a better chance maybe of adopting out two dogs instead of the one dog over a six-month period. That rarely happens. You know, going through my mind, Rita was, as I said before, an average-looking dog. And while she's very special inside, people don't see that initially when they come to look at dogs. And that's something which also highlights the empathy story because you look at an average looking dog. We've got a very good example at the moment, beautiful seven month old dog, but he's a brown Africanist. He was returned after just three months because the owners were overwhelmed with training him as a puppy, despite the fact we warned them, couldn't handle it. So he's come back. He's the most amazing dog but he's an average-looking Afrikaners. So that is our challenge, is to try and get people, when they're looking for dogs, to look beyond what this dog looks like and just try and see if they connect. And that's why we encourage all of our visitors, not just those intending to adopt a dog, but also those that just want to have some time with a dog, just to spend 15 minutes walk and, and, and just see how they feel with the dog. And, and that comes back to a point I made very early in this um, presentation, that dogs are very therapeutic. Animals are therapeutic. Every animal is a therapy animal. And I have seen people who have never owned a dog but have an opportunity to walk a dog for 15 minutes. We carefully select which dogs, if they're not used to dogs, which one they can take. We don't want one that's going to pull their arm out of a socket, for example, or be too reactive. So we we can actually assess people pretty quickly and give them a dog. Say, right, this one could do with a little walk and send them off. And the smiles on people's faces from small children, where we make sure that there's an adult also securing a dog, to older people who may not be in a position to have their dog, but to have 15 minutes with an animal that's happy to go out is part of this project. It's not just about dogs. It's about the impact of dogs on the on the on people that need that time with that dog. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Oh, it make it makes absolute sense, and I absolutely love the sentence you just said, which is every animal is a therapy animal. Um, I recently had an experience with someone in my life who had never had pets in their life and recently has pets in sort of later life, middle life. And watching that transformation that you just expressed, you know, this every animal is a therapy animal, the realization as an adult that the power of animals to change the energy of a home, the energy that you have, you know, the amount of understanding that you get from an animal. It's an incredibly powerful reality. I want to ask you you a question. So Rita, I, I feel like I know the answer, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Does she understand you, your emotions, your good days, your bad days? Does she understand she, she She really does, but she's not the sort of dog that's going to come up and cuddle. She's never made any attempt to sleep in my bed, for example. She's um, asleep in the balcony as we are talking now. But if I get up from my chair, um, she's going to be right there wanting to come out with me. Um, 
So she knows when I'm in a good mood because she tends to pick up on that vibe. And we're we're very similar in our outlook. So we're both quite positive people. I I adopted her or she adopted me when she was 14 months old. She was a stray. So I don't know about her past before that. And she's sort of written it off. And that's what I say about dogs. They live more for the moment and what's ahead of them rather than what's behind them, unless they've been, of course, seriously abused and some of them have vestiges of that behaviour, which which does die down over time, but some, some of them have neuroses associated with, with ill treatment. But generally speaking, I mean, Rita is an enigma, <laughs> really, and that's what makes it so wonderful. There, there is another point I'd like to make, Mimi, and you sort of also mentioned it with this example you gave, and that's that animals have an indirect way, I feel, of the way we perceive ourselves. And suddenly, especially this person that you were referring to having this pet later in life, you can't be selfish. You know, they, they, you have to care for another being. You, with, with dogs specifically, they need to go out walking. You meet a whole group of people and people will stop you and talk to you about the dog that may not otherwise just ignore you. So having a dog isn't just about having a dog. It's great to go out with them and have that relationship, but it's a wider community. I'm going out for dinner tonight with the dog squad, a very eclectic group of four of us, totally different ages from 27 to me, I'm the oldest, I won't tell you how old they are, to you know, totally different backgrounds. So I'm retired and they're all busy working. We've got a model, we've got an internet director, and we've got an actress and scriptwriter. We would have never met had it not been through our dogs. And here we are, great buddies. We've got the dog squad, or the awesome foursome, as we call ourselves, and we almost meet daily because the dogs are what brought us together and they, they love it. And if the dogs are happy, then we're happy. What what a wonderful way to sort of begin to, to sum up this this conversation because a huge amount of, of my work and the work that we do at Empathy Everywhere is around raising awareness of the loneliness endemic. So statistically, 52% of us today are lonely, which of course, when you consider the size of the world population, that's a few billion people that are alone. And then when you understand the impacts of loneliness on our health, our well-being, um, and of course, you know, far more sort of deep and serious issues around depression, anxiety, even suicide, the the reality of being lonely is impacting our world in, in all corners. And the Surgeon General in the US recently mentioned that loneliness is as dangerous to people as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. So when you understand the impact of loneliness and then you come back to just that last two sentences you mentioned there around making friends, creating connection, you know, and if it weren't for your dogs, you would never have met the awesome foursome, which is a brilliant name, by the way. So I, I just think it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And I want to tell our listeners now at the end, that my guest and I today did meet through Rita, through the dog. So uh, that's the irony of it, isn't it, Mimi? <laughs> she brought us together. Um, she's clearly changed your lives and in so doing has changed many other people's lives because, of course, you continue, I don't know how you do it, but to walk 50 
kilometers a weekend uh, at, at a minimum with these animals, meeting people, changing lives, creating friendships, um, and of course, pulling people together all over all over the city. So what began, as you said, as a sort of time out from your your career led you back to nature. And I feel like in many ways, the natural world continues to impact your life every day. It does. And in fact, on my road trip on Thursday is going back to the last lodge that I used to run. One of the guests uh, or ex-guests, she's a Swiss lady, is having a surprise 50th. She doesn't know that I'm going up there. I know her very well. She's a a great person. So I'll be going back to meet the staff. The staff know that I'm going back. I've not seen them since uh, I closed the lodge in 2020. And so that's also quite exciting. And um, yeah, animals are a great leveler, whether it's your domestic animals or living in the bush for nine years as I have having the respect for animals that can kill you and in fact have killed i've I've lost some members of staff to elephants for example i've been charged by um a a male lion twice hippo buffalo all that sort of stuff so that also teaches you humility and it teaches you respect and it also teaches you so many things it's a great leveler and dogs are the same. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on and, and gifting us and all of those that are listening today with your time to share your story. As I said at the beginning, I am a dog lover. But to all of you out there that are not dog lovers or perhaps just don't know dogs, don't know pets, I hope that today's story has allowed you to create a little more understanding, a little more empathy for the role of those animals in our lives, but also for the people, the people that look after them and love them and change them as we all go through our journeys. So my final question to my guest is the same as always, which is this is an anonymous first show. Would you like to remain anonymous today? Um, no, I'm, I'm more than happy to uh, reveal my identity and anybody in the Cape Town area particularly uh, cannot fail to um, not know Oscar's Ark or the Wolf Project because we go around with uh, pop-ups, uh, sometimes Seapoint Prom, some, we're currently in Constantia Village um, and various other places. And as an old Brit, they cannot uh, not know who I am because there aren't many old crazy Brits that work as a permanent volunteer for this project so please go ahead tell us your name and of course where you are i think we know already but tell us your name and where you are yes my name is david hollingworth i live in seapoint and uh, oscarsarc.org or the wolf project is based in woodstock and um, one of the reasons that i dedicate so much time and effort to the project. Not only was it the project responsible for changing my life through Rita, um, but as a retired person, although I don't think sometimes I've worked as hard as I have done now, um, it gives me a purpose. It gives me something to do. Of course, I I tend to to take two days to recover from my weekends, Um, but I absolutely love the challenge of getting people to see what dogs are going to suit them 
and making sure that those dogs, as far as we know, are going to be adopted once and not come back. So we're as transparent as we can be. And that comes down to me and the other staff members who are amazing, understanding each individual dog and its nuances and its and its quirks to make sure that the people, the potential adopters are fully aware of the challenges that may lie ahead for them so that we don't want that dog to be coming back. Well, on my behalf, thank you. Thank you for the work you do. There is so much need in the world for the empathy and the love that you're giving back to the animal world and, of course, to the dogs of the city of Cape Town. To everyone that was listening today, thank you for joining us. If you have a story that you would like to share, please do get in touch. We are at Mimi UU Show on Instagram, uh, Mimi UU on LinkedIn. Um, please do reach out and share your story with the world. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure today, David, to hear from you. you and you talk about Rita, the wonder dog that changed your life. And may you continue to save lives and change lives in the year ahead. Thank you, Mimi, for the opportunity. It's been a delight. And if anybody wants to come and visit uh, the dogs, then Constantia Village on a Saturday and Sunday between 10 and 4, more than welcome. Thank you for joining us today on Mimi UU. This episode is one in a series that has been designed to create empathy in our world. If you would like to join us on the show, please click on www.joinmimiuu.com or follow us across social media at Mimi UU Show. I believe that the more the world talks about empathy, the more empathy the world will have. And I hope that this show is the beginning of doing just that.